So, there are people who did extraordinary things for God. Big things. But what we often miss is that they were just ordinary people who had extraordinary faith. In Hebrews 11, we have a list of people who lived by faith. And because they trusted God with everything they had, they became extraordinary. It wasn't that they were special. It's that their faith was special. So today we're looking at the story of Moses. And um, it's funny because sometimes I, I hear this little joke. Do you remember Moses and the ark? And it's just a little trick, a ploy, because of course it was Noah's and, and the ark. No, Moses is the one, excuse me, no one in there. Moses is the one who said uh, that God says, let my people go. He's the one who put out his rod and the Red Sea parted. And they walked across dry land. By the way, it wasn't a small family. It was two million people. Yeah, that's a miracle. All right? And, and how God used him repeatedly over and over again to get God's people into the promised land. So there's no doubt that Moses is one of the top three to have the closest encounters with God than any other mortal human has ever had. In fact, it was God himself who said in Numbers chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 33 that he speaks to Moses face to face. I wanted to read you through all that scripture, but I have so much scripture to cover. For time's sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass some of that for right now. But what an, an encounter with God that Moses had that he would say, I speak to him face to face. I want us to remember that no matter who you are, where you've been, what mistakes, what sin you've made, that we can all still have personal God encounters today. That same God, remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God wants to show you his presence if we're willing. So with that in mind, let's read Exodus chapter 33. It's in your notes. And it says, starting at verse 12, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. Now they're out in, of course, in the desert. And he's saying, God, you want me to take them in the promised land? which the land of Canaan. By the way, there were people living there already. And, and Moses is just saying, hey, I got some questions. But you haven't told me who, whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorable on you. If it is true that you look favorable on me, let me know your ways. So I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. He's speaking to the Lord. Verse 14, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. Now listen to verse 15. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever been in a situation, it's a big decision, i got to move from this job to this job, I, I need to figure out this relationship, i, I got to, whatever the big decision is, it, it, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not leaving. 
have you ever been that way? Why? Because I'm sure to fail if God's presence is not with me. I go nowhere without you, God. That's what Moses is saying. 16. How will anyone know that you look favorable on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Not my big guns. Not my nuclear weapons. Not my big economy. Not my big house or my boats or my RV. No, what sets me apart, sets you apart, is the presence of the Father in your life. Wherever you go. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you, and I know your name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. He just won't stop. He's relentless. The Lord replied, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind. But my face will not be seen. Now I'm confused. How about you? He tells us that he, he's allowed no other person but Moses see him face to face. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, clearly we have a contradiction. And it would be unless we understood the original meaning of the word face in this context. In the Hebrew, the word is panim, P-A-N-I-M. And what it means literally is a lot of different things. It can mean that we understand this term in such a way that the word could have a, spe a specific, literal, anatomic sense of reference to the front of a person's head. It can also refer to the surface of someone's face, like something such as the face of the earth. But in this case, what it means is referring to the glory of God, to the presence of God. See, God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden because if the glory of God was to shine upon them because they had sin within them, they would die. So out of compassion, he had to remove them. So he could not let, God could not let Moses see the full glory, the fullness of God without dying. So God says, here you are, you're right there. I'm, I'm going to cover you up. And then when I walk by, then you can see a part of my presence, of my glory. He was so much in the presence of God that when he came down from Mount Sinai, the people saw the radiance of God on his face. It shone so much that they were afraid and would not approach the man of God. 
So he literally had to get a veil and cover his face because when you're in the presence of God, it changes you. And people will see it. So Moses, well, he was known to be many things. He was known to be the great deliverer. He was a lawgiver, a prophet. He was a prince of, a prince of Egypt. He was a founding father of a new nation. He was a songwriter. He was an author. Do you know the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses? But if you could encapsulate the entire life of Moses into one verse that best describes all that he was about, it would be Exodus 33, verse 15. And I'm reading out of the old King James because there's a couple of uh, purple-haired people around. He liked the old King James once in a while. And it says in verse 15, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. What's he saying? Moses, I can't live without your presence, God. God. Without you, I, I can't go. I'm not going. How powerful that is. Because the secret to having divine encounters with God is not living a perfect sinless life. It's not having money in the bank. The church that you attend is not the key, but it should be River Rock. It's not your social class. The secret to having a personal encounter with God is a pure, humble, passionate desire to be in His presence. You can't fake that. You can't manufacture that. It either comes from the marrow of your bone, from the center of your heart, or you need to spend more time on your knees. Moses was saying, wasn't saying, I can't. He was saying, I will not go on without you. Do you want to know God like that? I mean, I know a lot of people say, I want to know as much about God as I can. I don't care about that. I don't want to know about God. I want to know God. Do you see the difference? I know a lot about different things. But I know my wife. I know her. She knows me. Difference. I don't want Bible knowledge. I don't want history knowledge. I want to know his heartbeat. I want to know the core of who he is. Now, when you look at the life of Moses, the cool thing about him is you can break him down into three parts. He lived 120 years, and you can go 40 years here, 40 years here, and 40 years there, and you got him figured out. It's, in fact, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said this, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I'm looking at the life of Moses, and that's, 
That's what I want to do this morning is to follow out that outline that Dale Modi spoke about. So for your notes, Moses' life is in three parts. Number one, the first 40 years, Moses thought he was a somebody. And then number two, that he found out that he was a nobody. And number three, he discovered what God can do with a nobody. Number one, he was royalty. He was a prince of Egypt. Number two, he was a peasant. He was taking care of sheep. And number three, he became the deliverer, the lawgiver, the prophet, the founding father of a nation, a songwriter, an author. And we see how, just like Moses, we can have the divine encounters with the Lord with the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the first 40 years of Moses. And the very first things we notice about Moses' story is the fact that before Moses was this great deliverer, um, a nation builder, before he ever said, let my people go, before he was ever in the, in standing there with his rod and putting it out at the Red Sea, before any of that ever happened, we find the key to much of what God was doing to create this hero. It happens in Hebrews verse 11, 23. It was by faith that Moses' parents, not Moses, it was mama, it was papa. Parents, you are significant in the destiny of your child's future in understanding the ways of the Lord. I've heard it many times. I'm just going to let my kids figure it out all on their own. Do you do the same thing and say, hey, I'm going to let them figure out whether they can play in the street or not, all on their own. I'm going to let them learn how to swim, all on their own. Good boy, Joey. Again, again. We would never do those things. But when it comes to the things that matter for eternity, we oh, go figure it out on your own. Stop being a coward. Be the priest or the priestess in your home. Share the word of God with your children. I want you to understand that who Moses became, what God did for and through Moses, all that we know today didn't start at the burning bush or at the court of Pharaoh, but it started at his birth. Now, here's a little backstory. King Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh means king. Uh, potentate means king. And he had made a decree because the Hebrews had grown so massive in numbers compared to the Egyptians. They were afraid that the Hebrews would now connect with an ally who was now an enemy of the Egyptians, and they would be overran. And so this new Pharaoh, who knew nothing of Joseph, the coat of many colors guy, and because of that, they made a he made a decree that all the male baby boys born must be killed. Well, that didn't work so well because the, the midwives weren't following suit. And they were coming back, hey, these midwives, they're having babies really fast. We, we can't even get there in time. 
says, okay, I want the rest of society who are Egyptian to make sure we know about it, and then we're going to make sure these baby boys are thrown into the Nile River, and this is genocide. We're going to keep these numbers down. So Moses' parents find about this, and they realize it was a massive risk to hide Moses. But they did. And they hid him for a matter of months. And when they could hide him no more, that he would now be found out, they built an ark, put pitch around it, this little floating device, basket. Isn't it interesting? Noah was a deliverer. And so now we find soon to be the great deliverer of the Hebrews is in a little ark. A baby. Doesn't that remind you of a story in the Gospel of Matthew? The great deliverer, our Messiah, our Christ, comes as a baby. Do you see any of these foreshadows by accident? And so here, Mama puts them in. And I'm sure the reason why Daddy's not there is because they don't want to bring any attention. So he has to go out about his regular daily duties. Doesn't say that, but it's not hard to find that. So all of a sudden, there goes the little ark, there goes the little basket, and it falls right in front of where Pharaoh's daughter takes her baths out there in the water. She calls for it, they bring that basket in, they find their, this baby's there, and there quickly, here comes Sister Miriam, hey, should I go get a, a woman to nurse for you? And all of a sudden, that which was designed to bring death and destruction to this deliverer is now going to be that which will catapult him into doing the destiny God actually... Think about it. The enemy is being used to educate and train Moses as a prince of Egypt when he's the enemy. I love God. This is awesome. What tenacity they had to believe. I mean, they were risking not only dying themselves, but also seeing the death of mother and father of Miriam and Aaron if they got caught. This was a big sacrifice on their part. I think about my biological mother choosing not to abort me as an unplanned pregnancy. It would have been easier for her to have done that. And now, during those nine months of me in her womb, she would lay her hands on her stomach and pray that I would be set aside for the ministry of the gospel. I never knew anything about that until I had been in the ministry for 20 years. I had no idea. God set me apart. The faith of a parent, can do mighty things. So, Moses was educated by the Egyptians. He learned their language. He learned their customs. He learned all the unique things that a prince of Egypt would be taught. It says in Acts chapter 17, it is not on your notes, verse 22, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful both in speech and in action. 
One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. I'm going to take things in my own hands and take care of the situation. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites. The reason he knew, because he, he, he had connection with the Hebrews all the time. Mama was always nursing him. They probably nursed him between ages 5 to 7. That's a lot of time. And he knew he was a Hebrew. I'll guarantee you, the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, they made sure he knew he was adopted. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. You see, on the next day, when Moses saw two Hebrews fighting amongst themselves, he's, he's like, he's playing the peacemaker. Hey, guys, stop. And they go, hey, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the other guy, the Egyptian yesterday, and try to bury him in the sand? So now he knew it was exposed, and he took off. He fled for fear of what his adopted father would do to him, the Pharaoh. No matter what God has called you to do, there is always a timing issue. The right thing done at the wrong time produces failure. It was the right thing to go against the Egyptians to see God's people set free. But he did it in the wrong way and in the wrong time. And it produced failure. So let's look at the next six, uh, second 40 years. So Moses learned... He was a nobody. And here's where we are. The mighty man of Moses, the one who was mighty in words and deed, now finds himself in the backside of the desert. Can you imagine Moses' fear, his confusion, his desperation? It's not a stretch to conclude that Moses must have been thinking, what have I done? I'm an idiot. I'm dead. He goes from being a mighty prince of Egypt to being a peasant. He's now a homeless person in the desert with no family, no friends, no attendants, nothing. His story continues to where he's now keeping his father-in-law's sheep. The, the little story goes that... that um, Jephro's girls were about to feed the camels and they were there at the well trying to get all this and these shepherds came out and they were bullies and they pushed him out of the way. And Moses came in because he can't help it when he sees a conflict. He has to hurt somebody. And he gets involved in something that, that in this case worked out well. And he told those shepherds a thing or two and he took care of the business. And then he feeds all the camels and all that needed water. He took care of it. Where it gets back to Jephro, and Jephro says, you can come stay with us. And as time went on, he finally gave one of his daughters to be his wife, Zipporah. And there, now he spends the next 40 years discovering he's really nobody. He's nobody. I was a prince of Egypt. I had servants who took care of everything for me. I never had to cook. Never had to clean anything. I just snapped my fingers. We used to play like royalty would play. 
But now all of a sudden, it's the end of the 40 years. And God comes to him. You know that burning bush thing? Can you imagine walking all of a sudden you see this bush? It's on fire and it's not burning. It would grab my attention. And it grabbed his attention. And then all of a sudden you hear the voice of the universe talking to you. Hey, take your shoes off, buddy. You're on holy ground. And he does. And God says, I need you to go set my people free. And he does because he's gone from being a somebody to being a nobody, that he's no longer willing to fight like he did back there. Now he's like, whoa, 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 back up. He has five excuses as to why he doesn't want to do this. Number one, he tells God, I'm a nobody. Who am I that I should go? Why? I'm a peasant. I'm a shepherd. Can't you smell me? And number two, I don't really know who you are, God. Who am I to tell them who sent me? Who are you? Number three, what if they don't believe me? Four, I am no public speaker. I don't know what to say. You know what? Number five, send somebody else. I wonder how many today in the body of Christ are using excuses just like Moses. How many of us are doing the same thing? We know we're supposed to talk to that co-worker. We know we're supposed to do something with that neighbor. We know we're supposed to do something in our marriage. We know we're supposed to. We know we're supposed to. But God, who am I? But God, dot, dot, dot. Well, let's get to the last 40 years. Moses discovered what God can do with a nobody. And this is where it gets really good, where it gets going. Because it's Moses' last 40 years that God does his greatest work in and through Moses. Don't let anyone tell you that it's too late to serve God. I don't care if you've never been to Sunday school, you never went to youth camp, kids camp, you've never been on a retreat, I, please, stop limiting how big God is. God can use you. A six-year-old woman wrote, Dear Abby, for those of you who do not know who Dear Abby is, she's the one who gives free advice via newspaper and now on the internet kind of thing. Right? So here, somebody, this lady writes to Dear Abby and asks. Now, she's 60 years old. And she asks Dear Abby for her advice on going back to college and getting her degree. She wrote to Abby and said, when I get finished, I'll be 64. Abby wrote back and asked her, well, how old will you be in four years if you don't get the degree? Amen? So, so now in the story, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And, you, and those of you who are familiar with the story know that he would do this and the Pharaoh would say no, and then there would be a plague, and then let my people go, and then plague number two. And it went on for ten plagues. The final one was what we call the Passover, where they would put the, the blood over the, the doorposts and over the lentil that there would be 
that blood and so that the death angel would pass over that home. Only the Hebrews did that, the Egyptians did not, and their oldest male child would die, including Pharaoh's. And so they said, fine, you can truly now leave. And now they're there at the Red Sea. Two million people. And it started off with around 70 of Joseph's family. Wow. So there's Moses. He's recognizing that, the Pharaoh, that Pharaoh's army is not coming. And God says, grab that rod. Remember, that rod, God's been using that rod. First time he put it on the ground, it turned into a snake. He says, grab it by the tail and turn it back into a rod. And so God told him, stretch out your rod. And the Red Sea parted. It parted so vast and so wide, two million people could cross. And the wind was blowing so hard that it literally dried up the soil underneath where the water had been. And so then Moses led them in the desert, and Moses goes to Mount Sinai to seek the will of God. We're, we're creating a nation. God, we need some, we, we need some laws. We, we need to know how we're to operate, how we're to treat you, and how, you're, how you want us to treat one another. And as he went up alone, oh, 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 did you catch that? You need to spend time with God alone. Alone. It's so critically important. Alone, God speaks to Moses. All the other big leaders, hey, they had to stay back at a distance. They could see something was going on. They could see the presence of God. They knew it was happening, but they couldn't get close. And there's a time for you that you got to do the same thing. The time is daily. The time is life journaling. Being in his presence. And God gave Moses ten commands. The laws that something, something happened while he was up there that wasn't good. The people built a golden calf and God was so ready to wipe them all out. Here, God had the ten plagues. He had rescued them. had brought them through the Red Sea. He had fed them in the desert with manna. All this stuff was going on. And after all these miracles, Aaron, Moses' brother, decided to listen to the disgruntled complaints of the people. To follow the lead of the murmuring people. Aaron had forgotten all the miracles that God had already done. Building the golden calf was literally going back to the ways and to the customs of Egypt. Going back to slavery. Building this idol was a violation of the first commandment of the ten. Not have any other idols before me. And God had just given them to Moses. So now God was about to destroy. And what did Moses do? He began to intercede for his people. For the people of God. You know, 
You're maturing in God when your prayers are not all about you in your immediate circle. When you're praying for others, even when they're in the wrong, you're praying for them. So let's move on in the story to Moses going back up the mountain again. The original Ten Commandments, the stones have been broken. And he goes up to the mountain again to be in his presence. It was all about being in his presence. In Exodus chapter 34, and it's, it's not in your notes, there's just not enough space on there. Verse 29, when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked, asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over and he talked with them. Whew. Then all the people of Israel approached him. Well, they didn't die. I guess we'll be okay. And Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Amazing. It makes one wonder because of the great veil between the holy place, the holy all the way until you get into the holies of holies, and there is that veil, makes you wonder if there isn't a connection. So when you've been in the presence of God, people will see it. It will change you. You see different. You hear different. You think different. And it can happen for you. I want us to watch this real short clip. It's called, talks about the butterfly effect and see how that affects us. You've heard of the butterfly effect. A butterfly flaps its wings on the other side of the world. By the time it gets to us, it's a hurricane. It's the idea that little things can have big consequences. Now, this is especially true about the choices we make when we're young. You see, every decision ripples out into our world and our future in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And we carry them to the end of our days. The choices we're making right now can affect our long-term health, our ability to get a job, our future spouse, our kids, our grandkids, everything. What you do will always be with you. But there is one choice that towers over all the rest. Get it right, and every bad decision you've ever made can be wiped away. Get it wrong, and a lifetime of good choices will one day turn to dust. 
when you choose to follow the Creator, when you choose to surrender your ways to Him, when you decide to trust Him with your life, you will have figured out the one choice that really matters. You see, the beat of a butterfly's wing may or may not change the world, but the choice to follow Christ will change you and countless others forever. Isn't that amazing? The choices we make. And that's why Moses, he so understood the idea of the butterfly effect. He so understood that he would not attempt to do anything without the presence of the Lord so his choices would be right. See, the thing about our heart is our heart will lie to us. It's wretched. It's broken. But when we have the heart of the Father in us, then our decisions will be pure. They'll be holy. They'll be humble. They'll be all that the Lord wants in our life. See, due to the Hebrews being so stubborn, and the word talks about being stiff-necked people, <laughs> and they resisted wanting to do things God's way, and, and it resulted in 40 years in the wilderness. And even Moses made some huge blunders, and it cost him. And God said to Moses, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. I'll let you see it, though. What a bummer. But here's the grace of God. The grace of God is that the Bible says Moses, you know, after all that, he got to see it. He got to just walk away, literally walking to his funeral, and he passed. But if we go forward in time to when Jesus, there at the mountain of transfiguration, we find three people. We find Jesus, we find Elijah, and we find Moses. There, in the promised land, physically with the Lord, he got to see it. He got to be there, because that's the grace of God. Allowed his man to see it, to partake in it. Oh, how special it was to not only see the promised land, but to see the promised Messiah risen and resurrected. Remember that Moses, he prayed that prayer, show me your ways. Oh, God. Did God answer that prayer? As we close in Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to, say it with me. <laughs> his acts to the, and his acts to the people of Israel. So God honored that prayer. Even with all his blunders his sin and i pray even with all my blunders i pray for you that he would say father show me your ways oh father i challenge you i challenge me to remember that failure is not a person it is an event oh all right i'll say that again failure is not a person it's an event 
And Lord willing, we learn from those events. And I challenge us to pray as Moses prayed. Show me your ways, O Lord, I pray. And number two, I will not go without your presence. I challenge you this week to pray. Show me your ways, and I will not go without your presence.